Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. الحمد لله الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله نستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له رب العالمين مالك يوم الدين واشهد ان سيدنا مولانا محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اوصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله سبحانه وتعالى قال تعالى في القران الكريم يا ايها الذين امنوا تقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون الحمد لله وثنك الله سبحانه وتعالى we praise him we glorify him سبحانه وتعالى we ask for his help and mercy the one who Allah guides none can misguide him the one who does not have the guidance of la ilaha illallah the guidance from Allah the creator the all knowing the master the sustainer of the universe then none can guide him and we bear witness and we thank Allah that he sent to us many guides prophets messengers Musa alayhi salam Isa alayhi salam and the final one being our beloved prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we testify that our prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did his job in the best way discharged his duty in the best way convey the message of islam in the best way as a practical living example for you and i to follow until the last day brothers and sisters i ask and remind myself and yourself to fear allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i want to talk today a reminder to myself and yourself one of the ahadith of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is well known and i look at this ahadith talking about they are the hadith which are red lights these hadith are like when you are driving on the motorway or on the main road and you're driving normally you're speeding along you're comfortable in your car and suddenly ahead you see an ambulance you see a police car you see a fire engine you see red lights flashing what do you do you slow down you put the brakes on a bit you pay attention because you sense there is something ahead and these red lights and all these emergency vehicles are warning are warning they are attending to a situation which could be a critical situation the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam there are many ahadith like this they are collected in the chapter of fitan the chapter of trials and tribulations that will come so he spoke in his time sallallahu alaihi wasallam about a time that will come some things that will happen which will be testing which will be difficult for his ummah 
But in his mercy and in the mercy of Allah, he did not just warn us that this will happen and that will happen and it will be tough. He gave us the remedy. He gave us the solutions. He said, when this time comes, what is it that you Muslims should do? The Prophet ﷺ in a hadith from Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi that Anas bin Malik said, the Prophet said, There shall come a time, there shall come upon the people a time in which the one who is steadfast upon his deen, the one who sticks to this deen, will be like the one gripping, holding on to hot coals. Will be like the one holding on to hot coals. This hadith is fairly well known. And the question is, what are the lessons for us? Does it apply to us? Do we live in tough times? Somebody could say, ah, bro, what are, what are you talking about, bro? You know, we live in the UK. We have this, we have that, we have that. You know, we have healthcare and the roads are clean and, you know, what's all this, you know, tough times? Maybe this hadith was for another time. The person who will say that maybe does not realize some of the issues facing Muslims in the UK today. Some of the challenges, because the hadith says the one it will be holding on to his deen will be like holding on to hot coals. So it's making an analogy that holding on to Islam, there will be some aspect from Islam which will become difficult to hold on to. And maybe the question is whether we do face those situations at all. As I said, if we look at this hadith, it's in the collection of, it's in the chapter of Fitan. That itself should raise our attention. It is the chapter where the hadith are collected about tribulations. It contains warnings for the believer. It contains information about the future, that there will come a time, so some things will happen. It says, the one who is patient on his deen in that time, so... That means there will be some who will be patient, who will be steadfast, who will have istiqamah on this deen, on la ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah, and there will be some who will not be. There's a choice for us, the hadith is indicating. And also it is saying that holding on to the deen will be like holding on to hot coals, like a burning ember, a fire. Means there will be difficulties in those times in trying to hold on to Islam. This hadith applied in the time of the Prophet Was he not tested? You know the stories from the seerah. It was not all easy going for the Prophet When he started to proclaim this message in Mecca, the people who said, you are wonderful, you are al-ameen, you are trustworthy. But when he started to say, I call you to la ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah. I call you to leave the worship of the idols, to treat women properly, not to oppress people. I call you to the correct way from Allah. I call you that the powerful and the not so powerful are treated equally. Wow, what are you talking about? You want to make us all equal? What are you saying, Ya Muhammad? They turned against him. And there were many incidents in the seerah. Remember the time they nearly strangled him when he was praying near the Kaaba? Remember the time he went to Taif and what happened to him? They stoned him. 
And there are many incidents on the battlefield, in many, many areas of life, when he was tested, he was bloodied, he was bruised, in order to bring this message of Islam to us. So this hadith, we see that in the time of the Sahaba and the Prophet wasallam, there were tests. And this brings us some lessons from this hadith. Number one, that to be tested is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Believers, you want Jannah? I want Jannah, you want Jannah, we want Jannah, inshallah, may Allah grant it to us. But there's going to be a price, there's going to be a test. Allah wants to see what are we made of. Number two, that it is expected, should be normal, expectation that a Muslim will face trials and tribulations in life, just as the Prophet ﷺ faced. And number three, that we hope to hold on to Islam. When this test comes and it is tough, there is only one choice and one choice for the believer, which is to hold on to his deen and the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the practices of this deen. So what about in our times? Are we facing a testing situation in the UK? Nobody's torturing us like the Sahaba were tortured. I have not heard of a Muslim being strangled when he's doing his salah. So we don't face exactly the same type of test. Different people at different times will face different types of tests in holding on to La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah. But think about it. The last few weeks should have been a lesson for each and every one of us. It started post 9-11. We were told that the people, the Muslims who they are after, the government is after, are those people involved in violence. <laughs> Blair and these people, they said, we're not against Islam. Islam is a wonderful religion. Islam is a peaceful religion. And they said this and this and this. And so some of us Muslims, we felt, okay, they're not after those who want to use violence. I'm okay. But what has happened since then? You all know Dr. Zakir Naik? People know Dr. Zakir Naik? He's very famous. They banned him from coming to the UK. You banned Dr. Zakir Naik. This is what this government did. Does Dr. Zakir Naik go around preaching that people should go and commit violent acts in the UK? No. He's well known for debating with Christians, with anybody. He's well known for carrying the word of Islam. Speaking to audiences all over the world. He's been to this country many, many times. Many of you have attended his lectures. Suddenly the government said you can't come here anymore. Why? He's an extremist. Sheikh Haytham, one of the local shuyuk here in London. A few days ago, a newspaper said, this man is an extremist. Okay, what, 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 what did he say? And they put some quotes. He's, one of the things, they said, he said that homosexuality is a sin. So, in Islam, doesn't even a little boy know that this is the normal Islamic position? He did not see anything new. He did not see anything shocking, surprising. But yet, they made it a big issue. Some Muslims said that they believe Islam is the haq, Islam is the truth, because it's from Allah. They said, oh, you're being extremists. And then a few days ago, we had the Muslim sister working at one of the big supermarkets, and a customer came to buy alcohol, and she was apologizing. It's a very British thing to do. Yeah? She was apologizing that, sorry, I can't serve you, and they got somebody else to serve her. And then the newspaper said, oh, these Muslims, the woman refused to serve alcohol to the man, or woman or whoever it was. They want to impose their way of life. They want special treatment. They want, and it became in the news and big issue. This is a non-story. It's nonsense. Her employer allows her 
And then a few weeks ago, we had the issue in the universities with the separate seating. You all know this story. The separate seating arrangement. That Muslims in Islamic society events, events organized by the Islamic society on campus, when they have a talk, they have a lecture, sisters sit in one place, brothers sit in one place. And this became on the news, this became in the headlines. Chuka Omona from the Labour Party, he said, if Labour comes to power, they will ban this action of men and women sitting separately. It is segregation. Prime Minister Cameron, he came on TV, this is wrong, this should not be allowed. You would think there were not big problems in the country. You would think there were not scandals about child abuse, unemployment, recession, austerity. Somebody shot in London in a nightclub a few days ago. You would think there were no issues. All of this puts a focus in the minds of normal people that you Muslims are a problem. Your belief is a problem. You want to separate men from women when you sit in halls. You don't want to serve alcohol to people. The taxi driver who stopped his taxi. That this, many stories, many stories. And what this atmosphere does, it makes some of us scared. It makes some of us feel that if I say I am a Muslim, if I say yes, I believe that in our event, we should separate men and women. This is from our day. We've done this for many, many years in this country. What's the big deal? If I say this, what will John say about me at work? When we go for lunch at work and I sit down with John, who's been watching the news, Abdul! I say, yeah? Hey, yo, Abdul, did you watch that story about universities, men and women sitting separately? What's all that about? You're thinking in your mind, if I say I, I agree that men and women should sit separately, they have said in the news the people who believe that are extremists. So in the mind of John, I also become an extremist. So now you have a choice, I have a choice when you're in this situation. What do you do? And this is why we remember this hadith of the Prophet wasallam that there will come a time when holding on to Islam will be like holding on to hot coals. Saying you're a Muslim, that you stand for something, will become seen as something disgusting, despicable. And this is our test. It's one of our tests. We have many tests. This is one of our tests in this time. And that raises the question, how do you deal with this situation? What should be our attitude? What lessons do we learn from this hadith and from the Quran and the Sunnah of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu taqullaha haqqa tuqati wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. O you who believe, fear Allah as he should be feared. And we pray to die, except as Muslims, akoli kawli hadha wa astaghfirullah. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. Brothers and sisters, I want to go to three points when we think of this hadith about holding on to hot coals and what our attitude should be. I feel these points are important to counter the fear, the fear that starts to exist among some of us. Because when you're afraid, when you start to let go, when you start to say, well, maybe they should sit together, what's the problem? Oh, these women wearing niqab, why don't they just take it off, what's the problem? They're attacking this new issue, just leave it. You start to, you let go of this, you let go of this, you let go of this, what will be left of our deen? This is the test for excellence. Number one, we have to be steadfast. This is the number one lesson. 
we have to be steadfast. Anybody who has ever believed in Allah, the prophets, the Sahaba, may Allah be pleased with them, and the Muslims till Yawm Al-Qiyamah, have to sacrifice and struggle in the way of Islam. This is the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The believer should accept, we will be tested. When we are tested, we have to remain steadfast. This has to be the number one thing in our minds. This has to be the number one thing in our minds. It has to be an acceptance of the situation. We have heard the stories that the Sahaba were tested, that the prophets were tested. Now it's our turn. It's no longer a story, it's a reality. So we need to look back, what did they do? They stood firm. And we also have to stand firm. Why? The reward is great. The reward of standing firm on this deen is great. Meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you remain firm as a Muslim, despite the pressure on you. How else do we want to meet Allah? How else? When Allah takes us, do we want to meet him in a situation that says, I believed in you, but I didn't do this, but I didn't believe in this, but. Why? Because I was afraid of people. How will you say that? It's to be steadfast. One man came to the Prophet wasallam in a hadith related by Imam Muslim. And he asked the Prophet wasallam. he said, give me advice which nobody else will be able to give me. Give me advice. Yani he was asking the Prophet ﷺ, give me golden advice. Tell me something which I can't get from anywhere else. Something which is so comprehensive, which if I follow it, inshallah, will be my path to Jannah. The Prophet ﷺ in the very famous hadith said to the man, قُلْ آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ فَاسْتَقِمْ Say, what? I believe in Allah and remain firm on that. Don't deviate from it. Don't let go of it. So, for we, the Muslims, we have to stand firm. And always when people stand firm, Allah aids them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards them. In Allah yansurukum wa yuthabbit aqdamakum. If you stand firm on this deen, Allah says, He will make your foothold firm. The Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, he faced all sorts of pressures, he stood firm until Allah gave him victory. And this is the sunnah, this is what will happen. And even in this country, there's an example I was thinking about when I was thinking of this khutbah. Our parents, our parents, when they came here, they faced pressures. We're not the first people. There was no masajid. One old man who has passed away, may Allah grant him Jannah, he used to tell us about when they first came here, they were in North London, to get halal meat. They used to have to travel to somewhere, they used to have to buy the chicken and slaughter it. Now we have halal butchers all over the place. There was no masajid, but they knew from their deen that the man has to pray Salatul Jummah. They understood this. So they sacrificed. They got money together. They bought one house. They got the house next door to it. They got planning permission. They built a mosque, and today we have beautiful masajids. They didn't give up. They didn't say, we're in Britain now. We're not in Bangladesh. We're not in Pakistan. We're not in Nigeria. It's a bit tough to have a building to pray in. Well, maybe, maybe we don't need to bother. Our parents sacrificed, and that's why we're here today. So now it's our turn to sacrifice when there is pressure. And Allah Ta'ala rewards this. Number two is to gain knowledge. Learn your deen. Knowledge is power. When they say, you say homosexuality is haram, 
This is extremism. You believe men and women should separately. This is extremism. Dr. Nye is a knife. This is extremism. They want you to answer. They want you to either you're going to be quiet and accept all this thing that they say, and you confirm that, yes, you Muslims, you're extremists. Whatever this, this, this word is nonsense. Honestly, this word extremism is nonsense. No definition. It basically means you don't agree with our secular liberal values, you're extremists. Any practice of yours we don't like, we label it. So we as Muslims, we need to gain knowledge about the issues they attack, the questions that they raise. You need to gain knowledge so you know what Islam says and you know how to answer back to them to get them to think about what they are saying which is wrong. That means you need to know. I need to know. The brother who gave the khutbah last week, he mentioned this point. Brothers, sisters, some of our youth, some of you may be sitting here and thinking this doesn't really affect you. Some of the youth in universities, people are going to ask them when the term resumes. There's going to be so much pressure on the Islamic societies. People will be going to the Islamic societies and saying, when's your next event? When's your next event? When's your next event? I want to come. Are you going to have men and women sit together or not? There's going to be this pressure. The people running the Islamic society, the brothers and sisters, they have to have an answer. Either they say, okay, okay, from now on, people will just sit and we will mix, like everybody mixes. We don't, this is not from Islam. And this will start to put doubt in the minds of some of them. Some people will start to raise question, is this practice really from Islam? There was a sister, Dr. Nazreen Nawaz. Maybe you saw the interview. She was on Channel 4 News. The presenter, the way he questioned her is about this women and men sitting separately in your gatherings. Maybe this is just a few Muslims, extremists, who do like this. This is not normal practice. So they are saying normal practice, extremist practice. What is the answer that a Muslim is going to give? You need to have an answer. I need to have an answer. When you have an answer, you are confident to face what they are bringing to you. If you don't have an answer, you say, I'll keep quiet. And then they set a new basis. And you know, in answering their questions, we should always bear one thing in mind. You're speaking as a Muslim. You're speaking from Islam. Islam is the truth. Islam is from Allah. Islam's answers are the correct answers. You should always feel confident when you're defending the Islamic position. And you should remember that the person who is attacking you, the few, is not everybody attacking us, but those few, the Camerons of this world, some of the politicians, some of the journalists, what are they inviting us to? They're inviting us to battle. We say, La ilaha illallah, means that the way of Allah is the correct way of regulating how men and women should sit of how people should behave with their children, of how husbands should behave with their wives. What Islam says about all of these issues is the correct answer. Not because it's from you, not because it's from him, not because it's from her, not because it's from me, because it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have to have that confidence in your mind. Even if you don't know the details, you don't know the detailed answer, but you say, I'm a Muslim referring to Islam, and Islam is correct. So you stand with your chest tall. You stand proud. And you can't find the answer if you don't know it. And those who speak to you and want to make you look like scum, you need to question them. So let us look at the example on this separate sitting issue. It is from the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. It is a clear issue. The Muslims used to pray in the mosque in the time of the Prophet wasallam. Men used to be separate from women. When the Salah will finish, 
The women would get up and leave quickly and the men would wait. This is what the Prophet wasallam taught them. Showing us there shouldn't be this mixing. In the gathering from his time, men and women used to sit separately. The women had to ask the Prophet wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, the men, they take up your time. We also have questions. Give us a day when we can ask you questions. All of this are many evidences from Islam. This is a clear, simple issue. It's not a big deal. We need to teach this to our youth so they can answer, this is from Islam. And then let us look, let us look at those, some of those who are now attacking us. Oh, gender segregation and all this. In this society, men and women, they do mix. They mix in every situation. Everything is free. What is the result of this? How are women treated in some of their gathering? How are women looked down upon as sexual objects? You attack us for giving people honor and chastity so that Muslim women can go, can engage, can debate, can listen to talk, can ask questions in a way they're comfortable with. They're not forcing anybody to come and sit the way we sit. Why are you trying to force us to do what you do? You should get them to think and we should answer back to them. I had to do two videos. I have a third one to upload, inshallah, trying to help people answer this question. So inshallah, check out my, my YouTube channel and many others have answered these kind of tough questions they ask us. So I had to do one video on um, hudud. They say Islamic punishment is barbaric. So I did a short video then inshallah to share with people so we can learn how to answer and explain Islam in these issues. I had to do another video about same-sex marriage. Because they said, you Muslims, you oppose same-sex marriage. This is backward. Huh? No. Islam regulates how men and women should behave. It gives you something called marriage. It gives us a relationship where people have honor, people have rights, people have responsibilities. But you just say everything is free and everybody's free to do what they like, how they like, when they like, to who they like. And we have people walking around, don't know who their fathers are. We have teenage pregnant. We have all so many problems. Our deen is something which even you should think about. My final point, brothers and sisters, in answering this attack that some put to us, is don't change Islam to please other people. When we face this pressure, when we face this pressure, when they ask you at work, when they ask you in the university, when your friends, when your neighbors ask you these questions, there is a pressure. And in reacting, sometimes we have two dangers. One danger is the Muslim, he just gets upset because somebody questioned him. He gets emotional, he gets irrational. Don't get, don't, don't get emotional, don't get irrational. When our neighbors ask us this question, they don't know any better. This is what they've heard in the media. Invite him for a cup of tea, tell him to come in. Give him some myth pies. Yeah, people like that this time of year. Invite him in, okay, don't give him mince pies, give him samosas, whatever. My point is, invite people in, engage with them. Let them ask you, let them be that they learn Islam from you, not from the BBC or ITN or Sky or Channel 4. They learn from you, from you, from me, that we are the ambassadors of Islam. So we shouldn't get emotion. Just because somebody asks a question, he doesn't know. Why do your women wear hijab? Why do they cover? Why do you have to sit separately? He's not attacking you, he wants to know. The second danger that we face is that sometimes under pressure, we want to answer. We want to answer their question in a way that is appealing to them. But there is a danger that we twist Islam to make it appealing to them. What do I mean by that? Somebody comes and says, oh man, you guys, you, you don't believe in freedom. You don't believe in freedom in Islam, isn't it? And a Muslim, in other, he wants to answer in the best way. 
And what does he say? He says, no, 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 no. We have more freedom than you. Islam believes in freedom in every way. Every way. Freedom of belief, freedom of religion, freedom of this. Ah, that is a dangerous answer. What do you mean we believe in freedom? We believe in the hukum shara'i from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah tells us what is halal, what is haram. Gives us guidance, what is right, what is wrong. Once we say the shahada, we can't just do, say, do whatever we like. We don't believe in this secular liberal idea of freedom. Islam gives us the boundaries, what you can and what you cannot do. This is what I mean by the danger. I end with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Giving us a warning. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, whoever, this is in Ibn Hibban and Tirmidhi, whoever sought the pleasure of Allah, though it was displeasing to the people, then Allah becomes, Allah becomes pleased with him and will make people pleased with him. Whoever says, does something, Seeking to please Allah, doing what Allah has said, even if people don't like that thing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.